Thank you, and uh, good morning. How nice to be in, in this building uh, for a change, but I think I'm in that building um, as well. Uh, when they somebody phoned me up, I think it was Adam, and he said, oh, we're going to try something we've done once before, which is to actually preach live from the, where am I? The North Building, uh, to relay to the South Building. Um, and I wondered why. Uh, there were rumours that the North Building were getting a little unruly. Um, <coughs> So I thought well, I'd better just come and, um, and check that out. But wherever we are, wherever we're meeting, let's worship um, God together. It's been quite a week uh, for the church. We had the church meeting. Those that were there uh, will know. I don't think this is all too much secret, though some of it is. Um, new treasurer, which is, which is great. That, that's good that that's happening. And 11, 11 new people applied for membership uh, to the church, which is a really good, healthy, healthy sign. So we're going to do our service here. During the service, we're going to pause for communion in both, both buildings. You'll see when that bit's uh, coming up. If you haven't got your bread or your wine yet, it may be an idea if you just sort of wave, and I'm sure somebody could bring some um, to you, should that be the, uh, the, be, be the case. Or if you can see where it is, you could even go and get it um, yourself. So, um, the PowerPoint will probably appear at, at some point, I hope so, and I decided I would call it, so how can I be certain? And for that, I'm hoping it's how can you be certain um, as well. And as soon as um, Adam and Jim said, oh, what are you preaching on a few weeks ago, I, I said, oh, uh, certainty. Well, that gives me sleepless nights then, doesn't it? Because suddenly you think, well, am I certain about that? Have I chosen the right theme? Have I done this? But when that word, it literally, I was driving down and suddenly you know, talk about certainty. I thought, thank you, where did that come from? Well, I, I hope it came from God because that's what you're going to get today. Anyway, can I just check? Did you all remember to lock the door when you came out? Now, are you absolutely sure uh, of that? Okay, I have been in services where there have been little gasps when somebody mentions about the Sunday roast, and there'll be a little gasp, oh, I haven't turned the oven on, and people just discreetly uh, going out. I'm, I'm well used to sleepwalkers and all sorts going on here, so if anybody suddenly remembers something really urgent they've forgotten, um, go and do it. I, I, I remember um, a trip to Devon, I think it was in the early days of, of marriage, yes, it was just the two of us in the car, and uh, chat, 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 all excited about two-week uh, holiday, and we got into somewhere in Dorset, it went quiet in the car. Uh, which it can do. And I said, you know, everything all right? And he said, yeah. <laughs> yes means no, doesn't it? Are you sure everything's all right? Yes. What is it? Did you see me turn the iron off? <sighs> and this was before mobile phones. So I had to find a phone box. I had to phone my next door neighbour, could you just go around and look through the kitchen window, please? Because nobody had a key. You break in if necessary. All was fine. But it seems that we need to have certainty. Sometimes we have to be sure of, of things. Now, do you write yourself little notes to help you remember things? I do. I have little post-it notes, things like that. I was given a very important um, errand to go into Fairham must get a stamp for the birthday card, must post the birthday card, and then there were a few other things as well, you know, potatoes, onions, the usual sorts of things. So wrote it on the post. Very proud, got there, got to the post office, 
Bought the stamp, put the stamp on, posted the card. All's good. It's going well. Went to the next shop. Where's that list gone? Yep, I'd posted it on the back <laughs> of the envelope. Then you have to rely on memory, which can let us down sometimes. Um, maybe you have routines to help you remember things as, as well. There was a high-ranking naval officer, apparently. It could even have been an admiral. And he went through the same routine every day. When he came in, he would say good morning to his staff. He would hang up his hat. Then he would go to a drawer. He'd unlock the drawer, and he would take out a piece of paper. He'd open it, read it, return it to the drawer, lock it, and his staff were intrigued by this ritual. Day after day, week after week, year after year, the same routine. He would never tell anyone what the note said. So a bit like you, they're probably starting to speculate now. Oh, right, I wonder what that's about. Maybe Maybe it's a Bible verse. Perhaps he gets a Bible verse out and reads that in the morning. Mm. Oh, maybe it's a note from a loved one. Oh, the Admiral. Oh, I wonder. They longed to find out the truth. Well, the Admiral retired and he left. And when tidying his office, the staff found that the drawer was unlocked. The note was still there. Huge excitement. And what did the note for the Admiral say? Port is left, starboard is right. <laughs> we like to be certain. The world seems to have given up on the idea of truth. We're bombarded with fake news. And the weather forecasters have, have joined in now. Apparently the weather is 24 degrees, but it feels like 27 degrees. Now I'm confused. Which is it, 24 or 27? And the BBC have now got a team, I think it's called BBC Verify, to check that the stories are true. I, I'd rather naively hoped that they'd been checking the truth of the stories all the way along. And we seem to have moved from having news that told us what happened to news that tells us what happened and what you have to think about it. Maybe the news we choose to read and listen to tells us what we want to hear and only provides information in support of that view. It's hard to discern the truth and be certain in these times. So thank God that we have the Bible and the truth as spoken by Jesus. Oh yeah, another thing. You know, when the phone rings and it's someone that we know, we're sometimes in doubt as to why they are calling. What's this call all about? Now, those with grown-up children will know that they often ring for money and advice. They always take the money. The advice sometimes. So you answer the phone to someone that you know there's a lot of chat uh, going on, but you're actually waiting for the reason for the call or the conversation. There's a lot of small talk. And the whole time you're thinking, you yeah, know, what's this call actually about? What, what are they really rung up for? What, what do you need? But then after perhaps five minutes, you think, oh, maybe I was wrong. It was just a casual chat. So after a while you say, oh, great, thanks, got to go. And then they say, oh, there was one thing. I've not been paid and I'm worried, I have, you know, whatever the, the thing might be. And say, yep, there it is. That was the reason for the call. We like to be sure. We don't like uncertainty. 
I'm sure we long for the truth. It says that the church is in crisis. That's what the headlines are saying over and over again. And as we gather today, perhaps it's hard for us in a successful and thriving church to associate with those words, but it's vital that we take on the wider picture because churches are under attack. Enemies are trying to belittle the Christian way of life and the truth of Jesus. We hear very little of the Christian message on our news bulletins. We're subtly being edited out. We're being sidelined. But in the church, there are blessings and there are privileges, but sadly they don't make the headline news. The church is the storeroom, the fortress of the truth, because the truth is the reflection of God's mind. We read and hear of what is actually on his heart. And when we witness the truth, we witness God. He is present in that truth. If we hear things in our church buildings that are not the truth, then they just do not come from God. It's as simple as that. Preaching is the publishing of the good news. And God is always with the preaching of the gospel. Whatever the preacher says, and people are always very kind to point it out when we get things wrong, thank you, God will be speaking the truth to you. God will be speaking the truth to you. So don't be distracted by the preacher. And there's a very special blessing of the church and a way of remembering our Lord through communion, which we are going to celebrate now. It's the reflection of the Last Supper, the symbol of the heavenly banquet, and God is here to bless the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the wine. Of that, you can be certain. So hear the truth. Jesus came down from heaven to dwell with us, to live among us, and to die for us so that we might be freed from our sins. By taking part in this communion, we are receiving the certainty that he gives us hope and to show that we believe in a risen Lord. For Jesus gave up his earthly life for us. And the bread symbolizes his body broken for you and for me and the hope of eternal life for us all. And when we eat the bread, we show our obedience to do as our loving Father commands and as the Holy Spirit leads. So let us hold that bread now. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Let us take the bread and draw closer to God. The body of Christ broken for you, his disciples. Eat and be thankful.
as we drink from the cup and remember the blood of Jesus, we also recall that our God keeps all his promises. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us throughout our lives. So we consider the cup and its symbolism. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So we take the cup and we gladly come to him and receive forgiveness through the blood of Christ. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. So let's pause and pray to our Father now. Father, we thank you that we are free to share in this communion. We thank you for our church. We thank you for our nation. And we pray for our leaders at this time that they may be in communion with you, that they may seek your truth, your will, your purposes at all times. We pray for those locally who make decisions which affect our day-to-day life. Again, Lord, may their decisions be based on your truth. Within our church, we have those who have been brought into leadership, our pastors, our officers, our elders, and a whole army of willing workers. We just bring maybe one or two to our mind and thank you for them. Ask for your encouragement upon them, for your love, to be showered upon them. And we pray for ourselves. There is always something on our minds, some uncertainty, some worry, some joy, some excitement. At this time of communion, may we pause and bring it to your table knowing that, as you promised, you hear our word. Thank you, Father, for inhabiting these buildings, inhabiting our lives. Praise you, Father. Amen.
prayer is the drawing closer to God through his son, Jesus, and to such you can feel him nearer to you. I am the way, he said, the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. And when Jesus, later in the chapter, spoke of how he would be leaving earth to return to his Father, he made sure that we heard the fact that he is greater than I. Jesus knew the truth. Jesus spoke the truth. We are with God through his Son. And the Holy Spirit is the life and strength and joy of the church. It gives us hope. It gives us certainty. Particular sections of religion will decay and perish. Churches in parts of our modern world are decaying and will disappear. Controversies, 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 controversies will disturb and separate members of the churches from each other. Been there, done that. Many people reject Jesus because of bad experiences with churches and religious people. But remember, Jesus had bad experiences with religious people too. In fact, they killed him. People will let us down, but Jesus will not. Discerning the truth in a situation is very challenging, but the true church of the living God shall never be moved never blotted out, never destroyed. And it's that true church that we celebrate today because God is with us. But how do we know that? When things are going badly, how do we know God is in control and he is with us? When a loved one is seriously ill, when a house sale falls through and we were so certain we had made the right choice and it was God's will. When we make decisions on behalf of others about their care, we do our best. We seem certain, but there can be a little niggling doubt. And that's the gap where God will enter. That's where the truth will set you free, because he's in the broken heart. He'll see you through the darkest time, those days of doubt. We just have to trust that all will be well. So we have faith. Everyone in the world has a measure of faith every day from trusting that, I don't know, the central heating will come on on time to believing that all the traffic lights will work properly. They're not all going to be at green because that'd be chaos. And that kind of faith is, is in our DNA. But as Christians, we have a saving faith as a gift from God. And that gift comes when the Lord opens our heart to the gospel. When our faith is challenged or we have doubts, we hear some reassuring words from the Bible. We read his word. We, for instance, take the gospel according to Luke. Now Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other person. He wrote two books, the gospel that bears his name and the Acts of the Apostles, which is a history of the early Christian movement. And Luke's gospel is the longest of the four, but it's also the only one with a sequel. Those two books together comprise the biggest part of the New Testament written by one author. So it's important that we're sure it is actually God's word that Luke wrote. And what he wrote was unquestionably true. Each of the four Gospels have their own content. So for instance, John 
doesn't tell us anything about the events surrounding the nativity of Jesus. Instead, John talks about Son of God and describes Jesus as the Logos, the Word of God. Matthew refers to Jesus as a king and writes about the birth of Jesus from Joseph's perspective and records the visit of the Magi and the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem. Mark includes no information on the nativity of Jesus and jumps right into the action with John the Baptist public ministry. And Mark's gospel portrays Jesus as a servant. Luke, however, takes us all the way back to the events surrounding the birth of John the Baptist. We learn about his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Luke is also the only gospel to give a story from Jesus' boyhood. So we have four biographical sketches of Jesus from different sources. And the four Gospels don't conflict with one another, rather they complement each other beautifully. Luke has particular aspects of the ministry of Jesus within its pages. And Luke often mentions Jesus praying or teaching about prayer. Jesus prays at his baptism. He goes off into the wilderness to pray alone. He prays before choosing his apostles. He prays for Peter that his faith would not waver. He prays for his executioners from the cross. And Luke also includes some of Jesus' teaching on prayer that we find nowhere else, like the parable of the neighbor at midnight. In fact, Luke mentions prayer more than all three of the other Gospels combined. No wonder Luke is sometimes called the gospel of prayer. Proof, if proof were needed, that we should pray at all times and in all situations. It's God's command. It's the example set by his son, Jesus. The Christian faith has historical accuracy. It can be verified and is therefore a truth. There is no doubt that Jesus lived died and was resurrected. And Luke has been very thorough in his writing as he interviewed eyewitnesses. He has met those that Jesus healed. And some of the most beloved stories uh, are found only in Luke, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the walk to Emmaus. And we can be assured of their truth as Luke has done ministry with those who were his disciples. He's listened to those that Jesus taught. He's spoken with all the women who saw him. He has met the man who carried his cross, Simon of Cyrene. All these people were still alive while Luke was writing. And he also gives us the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the only parable where one of the characters is actually given a name. And Luke knows that when we have the detail, the facts, it maybe helps us to believe it more. And at the time that Luke was writing, all these facts could be checked. And Luke, the historian, has done just that. And he's writing to assure the most excellent Theophilus and therefore assure us too that you can be absolutely certain all you have been taught is true. But who was Luke? In Colossians 4, Paul greets friends who might be reading the letter. And among this are Luke, the beloved physician. So Luke was a doctor. Now medical practice was quite different back then. Doctors didn't spend years at medical school. They would have learned their trade by apprenticing under other physicians. So you became a doctor the same way as you became a carpenter. You trained under one until you were one. But this Luke is highly literate and obviously a great writer. His writing 
must have been better than most doctors today because we could actually read what he's written. <laughs> Sorry, Fliss. One thing that is abundantly clear when you read Luke is that the entrance of Jesus into the world changes everything. Luke believed that that entrance of Jesus Christ into the world is a game changer. The old order of things has been fulfilled and a new day has dawned. So let's just take a look. Let's find the proof that the Gospel of Luke can be believed. We're literally just going to look at the first four verses, although I should be diverting off, off here and there. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So this shows us that Luke is aware of other Gospels. For instance, Luke seems to have used the Gospel of Mark as one of his sources. About 50% of Mark's Gospel is contained in Luke's Gospel. But Mark's Gospel is, is brief and it's focused on chronicling things, the things that Jesus did. Luke wants to provide a context. He was a people person. You can tell by the way he describes people in his gospel that he related to them. He saw them more than characters in a story, but they were real people who experienced the time that literally changed the course of history. He's more of a storyteller and historian, looking for accuracy, and truth. Verse 2, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. In any court, there is nothing quite like the testimony of eyewitnesses. If you want to know what happened, talk to the people who were there. Get all the facts. So Luke bases his work on the evidence of eyewitnesses. It is just possible that Luke learned about the nativity of Jesus by interviewing Mary. And when he mentions servants of the word, he's talking about the apostles and those who communicated the apostolic message. These gospels were written after the epistles when people noticed that the apostles were actually passing away. So there was some urgency about capturing their remembrances of Jesus. Because Jesus never wrote a book. Instead, he entrusted his message to witnesses of his life and his teachings. And he still does, because it's our turn to witness to others about Jesus Christ as Son of God. Verse 3, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke has done his homework. He's investigating everything from the beginning. Very methodical, a scientific brain. He sorted through the many verbal accounts about Jesus to try to get what really happened. It's that famous one fact more. He would find it. So in verse 4 he says, So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke states that it's important important for him to write an orderly account. Putting things in the correct chronological order is important to him. And Luke is providing an orderly and historically accurate account because God is a God of order. Luke is going painstakingly out of his way to interview, to verify, to corroborate and investigate everything that has happened. And when we look at the first four verses of Luke, the writer gets straight to the point. 
Luke lays it all out on those first four verses. There's no small talk. He's not going to suddenly go and ask you for money. He's telling you up front what his intention is in writing to Theophilus. And he had a specific audience he was writing to. Matthew, writing, wrote with the Jew in mind. And Mark wrote with the Roman in mind. John wrote with the non-Christian in mind. But Luke wrote with a Christian in mind that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. He was writing so that we can have confidence in the gospel. The word gives us real assurance of God's love to us through his son Jesus. The words provide certainty about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And because of this writing, we can know that the gospel is trustworthy, it's reliable, it's historical, it's accurate. Luke says, listen, this story about Jesus, it's big, and I'm not the only person to have written about it. When we take the time to read Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, we learn how the gospel of Luke was written to install a lasting knowledge of Jesus Christ in a person by the name of Theophilus, who may have been a student of Luke, possibly a high official in the Roman government. And Luke tells us that he sought to teach Theophilus what had been told to him by eyewitnesses and ministers of the word concerning the certainty of what had been seen and heard about Jesus. And this teaching included not only the life of Jesus, but it included Old Testament prophecy and theological and spiritual lessons too. Luke chapter 1 contains the accounts of the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. But there's a spiritual lesson contained in this chapter as well. It deals with belief and unbelief in the virgin birth and shares the consequences of unbelief. There's a similar account in the Old Testament which portrays the same spiritual lesson. Therefore, it's going to be used along with Luke chapter 1 to expound on something important that God wanted to reveal to Theophilus and to each of us. Theophilus was being taught a lesson of spiritual significance in his life. He was shown that if he didn't believe in an impossible birth, such as that of John the Baptist being born unto some senior parents, that there would be no way that he would believe in the birth of Jesus Christ conceived in the Virgin. And without trusting in the virgin birth of the Messiah, he would receive eternal punishment for his unbelief. But if he believed, he would receive a great blessing like Mary, an eternal blessing. If we believe in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will also come to trust and believe in his death on the cross. And our communion service helped us to remind us of these facts. By believing in his birth, death and resurrection, we will be blessed with eternal life. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we do wrong, God sees us. When we realize our guilt, we cry out to him for forgiveness. And he's heard his cry. He's heard our cry and has sent his son, who is God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus is the one who came to save us from our sins if we choose to place our faith and trust in him. 
He asks us to be certain in our belief. Luke's gospel is the gospel for everyone. He was a Gentile, the only New Testament writer that was not uh, a Jew. Written mainly for Gentiles, people like us. And Luke is the gospel of prayer. He shows Jesus at prayer just before all the great moments of his life. And it also reveals the teaching by Jesus on the essential importance of prayer. Luke 9, so 11, sorry. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And Luke is the gospel of women. In Palestine, the place of women was low. Luke gives a very special place to women in the gospel. He writes of Elizabeth, Anna, the widow at Nain, the woman who anointed Jesus' feet at the house of Martha and Mary, and of Mary Magdalene. Luke's the gospel of praise. Praising God occurs more often there than in all of the rest of the New Testament put together. And Luke presents the universal gospel. He shows Jesus as the friend of outcasts and sinners. Luke alone tells of the woman who bathed the feet of Jesus with her tears and wiped them with her hair in the home of Simon the Pharisee. There's Zacchaeus, the tax gatherer, and the penitent thief at the cross. The immortal story of the prodigal son and the loving father, all found within Luke. So our first appointment with Dr. Luke is like all our doctor appointments. How willing are we to follow the doctor's advice? We seek certainty. And when we look at verse 4, Dr. Luke knew his readers would want reassurance. So that's why he started with, you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You may have certainty. You may have confidence. You might have assurance about all the things you were taught regarding Jesus. So when Luke refers to the matters concerning Jesus' life, death and resurrection, you may be confident that all you heard is true. That Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the God-man who came to save everyone. <laughs> and yet... We can still have moments of doubt and uncertainty. Our faith, our belief, it can be challenged by others, by circumstances, and by those who wish to deceive us. Jesus knew this. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter, who is asking at the time, Peter answered, the Christ of God. Who do you say Jesus is when someone asks you. You can have assurances that the promises in the Bible are true. Apparently there are 8,810 promises in the Bible and 7,000, you can check this this afternoon, 7,487 are promises from God to man. So why not find a promise? Find some encouraging words. Find a truth from God's word. Write it on a piece of paper and look at it each day. Remind yourself of what the Bible says, the truth of the Bible. Let it be your 
port starboard moment of each day. At the moment, I'd probably go for Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid. You only need that bit. It's just so encouraging, so reassuring. Do not be afraid. And then this sweetest little flock. We're his little flock. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Isn't that like when you go up to a little baby and go goody goody goo? It's that sort of warm, comfy, cozy thing. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Oh, wow. It's encouraging. It's sweet. And then suddenly, by the way, the kingdom is yours. We're asked to share the truth and be like Luke and spread the word of the Lord. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, it says in Romans 10. You will be saved, not might, not probably, not hopefully. You will be saved. It's a promise from God. You can be sure that your sins are forgiven. God says so. You can have assurance that nothing Nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. And here it is in Romans 8, 38 and 9. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's why Paul wrote, if we died with him, we also live with him. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away here's a cheery thought we will pass away heaven and earth will pass away Jesus said but my words will not pass away and my kingdom will not pass away and in God is engaged to watch his church every moment to keep it day and night to be its wall of fire and glory to bless her friends and confound her enemies. God is watching and caring for his one true church. God has redeemed it. He's called it. He's chosen it. He's washed it and he prays for it. Its glory, its joy, its prosperity are his. His desire, his reward. He's always there for his church. But as Jim said at the church meeting, how often do we involve God in our lives? He's always there for us. How often do we involve God in our lives? The kingdom must come. Truth will triumph and the church will be glorified. Are we members of that true church? What an honor. What a privilege. Are we identifying with its interest? Do we pray for peace? And how can we know it's true? Because all truth belongs to God 
At the end of the day, Christians believe that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. His virgin birth, his virtuous life, vicarious death and victorious resurrection, they frame this new reality. We need to know these things because sometimes we have our doubts. We're like the man who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Or like the disciples who said, increase our faith. And this is part of our struggle as human beings in a challenging world. Assurance doesn't always come right away, any more than it came right away for the apostles. We believe the gospel, but sometimes we're tempted not to, and thus we long to have greater assurance of our faith. Luke's gospel is for anyone who needs to know Jesus. It's for people who have never met Jesus before, for people who need to meet him again, as if for the very first time. It's for people who aren't quite sure about Jesus, for people who are just starting to trust in him, and for people who have known him a long time, but still need to become more secure in their faith. It's for anyone who wants to know for sure. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him for sure? Are you so certain in your faith that you're able to live for Jesus and even to die for him? If you want to be sure, study the Gospel of Luke. Take it to the cross. There's more evidence for the reliability of the Bible than almost any other document in history. Therefore, you can have confidence. You can have assurance that you've been taught through the Word of God. Everything you've been taught is true. It's reliable, it's historical, it's indisputable. And that's increasingly important in a day when fake news is the norm. It's increasingly important in a culture that's become cynical about absolute truth. It's increasingly important when people are encouraged to find their own truth. Christianity claims that the gospel is reliable, that the claims about Jesus are verifiable, that Jesus' teaching on morality is true for all people at all times, and that the Bible's teaching on life is not only true, but it's a good way of living, the best. It's increasingly important because people are increasingly challenging those biblical truths. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And governments are increasingly becoming intolerant of Christian morality, seeking to pressure Christian organizations and individuals to compromise. So we pray that our leaders and ourselves will have the courage to stand firm, the courage to endure vilification. And this strength will only be found if you are confident that what you have been taught is true. As an individual, you personally can have the assurance that what you have believed, this very big story about Jesus, the promises he made, the salvation he promised, the redemption he accomplished, the life and virtues he called you to, and the cross he told you to pick up, the foundation you have built your Christian life on, that very big story of Jesus, it is reliable, it is accurate, and it is trustworthy. And because of that, we can share it with certainty.
Amen. Amen. Let's pray. The musicians will return as we pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that Luke took the trouble to get it right. Teach us to believe. Forgive us our doubts. Give us words of encouragement that we can look at maybe every day. That we may fear not. For we are your chosen people, your little flock. Father God, as we worship, we ask you to accept our praise and our thanks and our promise to follow you, to trust in your word all the days of our life. Amen. Amen.